Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the 10 Laws Podcast with East Forest. I'm the Eastern of the Forest. Thank you for joining us this week. Uh, I've got a conversation with my friend Lee Harris. I've known Lee for quite a while. Lee does channeling of the Z's. That is the Z's. And he's been doing this for a long time, and we have a wonderful conversation about a new book he released about this, but... You know, I asked some of those questions I hope are probing about what channeling is in general. And Lee was very gracious. So I think I think you're going to find this uh, quite interesting and have some nuggets there for you to pull out. You know, it's in my mind, it's all metaphor. So it's really about whatever is inspiring you or challenging you is there to be used for yourself to see uh, what's what's right for you and what your development is all about and finding that North Star of truth. That, that rings true for you. And Lee is such a sweetheart. And I know you're going to enjoy everything he has to share. Because uh, I sure enjoyed it. Hey, on the 17th of December, I'm doing a live stream that is free to watch. And I highly recommend you check it out if you can. Because my, my dear friend Peter Broderick, who's been on the podcast a couple times. He's going to be here all the way from Ireland. And we're going to be in my studio. And we're putting a lot of effort into making this... Uh, as beautiful and special as it can be. So December 17th, if, if you go to eastforest.org, you'll see more information about it. But it's at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. So that's 6 p.m. Pacific, and that's 9 p.m. Eastern. And for our friends in other parts of the world, uh, I, I can't quite do that math. But I, I'm sure there's a solution out there technologically to figure that out. Um, we'll probably leave it up for a week or two, if you miss it and you want to watch it after the fact, but it's always so much more special to do these long form ceremony formats together around the world at the same time in real time. So looking forward to that December 17th with Peter Broderick. Uh, it's going to be hosted by journeyspace.com. So you can go there too, journeyspace.com slash live. You'll see the event. And if you want to go deeper and, and be in live facilitation and have two uh, included uh, integration circles and preparation materials and really dive into community around the world. It's so magical. That's what Journey Space is all about. And not to confuse things, but there's a discount. So if you want to do the Journey Space route with our live facilitators, you can sign up. That costs a little money uh, to pay our facilitators. There's a discount on the Patreon council, uh, the East Forest Council on Patreon, (laughs) as it were. So... Anything, go to eastforest.org. You'll see all these different links and see what is right for you. Speaking of the council on Patreon, I want to thank some folks who signed up in November. Uh, and I apologize if I say your name wrong. But Alyssa, Andrew, uh, Lilani, Lilana, Liana, sorry, Sahin, and Amy. Thank you so much for uh, the support and for everyone else on the council it means so much to me. It's a way to support the project and this podcast. That is, uh, we do our monthly councils and demos and all sorts of things. Check it out. Patreon.com slash East Forest. Uh, otherwise, I am here still recovering. <clears throat> you might hear my voice. I, I did get sick. I got a cold finally after coming home from the tour. I suppose just by the sheer force of will. I was holding that off, but I I had succumbed. But I'm feeling better as of today, yesterday. We put up a little Christmas tree. Are you still allowed to say that, Christmas tree? Uh, In in the living room yesterday, that was lovely. 
And we are going to Esalen this coming weekend to do our retreat. So looking forward to seeing uh, all of our friends, new and old, out there at Esalen in the Great Big Sur. But otherwise, I'll catch you all online for that live stream on the 17th. And uh, But let's get into this conversation, this, this rich, nourishing, and compassionate conversation with our friend, Lee Harris. Lee Harris, good to see you again, my friend. Uh, where are you these days? Right now I'm at home in California. Um, California. Yeah, yeah. Good to be Very here. Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good to see you. Uh, congratulations on another another book. And it seems like you've... I'm trying to remember when we did speak. Was it two years ago or a year? You, Yeah, you did my podcast. I want to say it was about a year ago. Okay. Well, uh, how have things been for you in general coming out of... <laughs> it's strange to say coming out of the pandemic because it's it's more of an, uh, a metaphor because <laughs> I guess we're still in it in a different way. But for what we, we all speak of as the pandemic time, have you been uh, back into events or what have you been doing? Well, we haven't really done any live events. It's interesting because I think in a way just on a work front. For me, the whole pandemic was very liberating in terms of getting me out of the mindset of, oh, I need to go and do all these live events and I'm doing my online events. I hadn't really uh, stepped back and looked at that <laughs> as a sustainable model, you know? So yeah. in, a, in an interesting way, a couple of things. Number one, we were already doing online events, so I just lent more into those. And it also... I would say the biggest thing that shifted was music, actually. We were able to create more music, um, create more of the music that Devorah and I would normally be doing live in a workshop room. And um, we also put out a couple of other artists, which was, I think, required me being less moving around. Mm. Um, so on a, on, a, on a work level, but also on a personal level, I think it kind of helped me rebalance. And now I'm just enjoying... I think the thing that, that was the most difficult for me was the masks, like just not being able to see people's faces and what that does to us psychologically. So seeing seeing that shifting and we yeah. can look at each other again and witnessing the fear die down because that was the hardest thing. People's fear of each other was the hardest thing to deal with, I think. Yeah, I would imagine fear... And we can get into this in some of the messages and themes that come up in your channeling and your work. But that, I mean, we know just even scientifically, of course, that fear and stress, how hard it is on the body, you know, inflammation. And uh, it's something I always worry about when I get, go through stressful situations. Like I, I, I quote unquote deal with stress pretty well. In some ways it even focuses me, but I'm also like at what cost, you know? Right. That's a really good question. Uh, it's interesting. My, yeah, my thing is overwhelm. I was even talking to Stephen, my husband, about this last night. I had a day yesterday where I just hit overwhelm. And it hasn't, that hasn't happened to me in that way for about two months. But I was reminded that years ago, that was common for me to kind of feel mm. overwhelmed by things. But, uh, but it's interesting you bring up the fear in that way, because I had a couple of guys um, Clayton and Jeff, who have a, they have a piece of technology called FLFE. It harmonizes living spaces and phones. I had them as guests on the Impact the World podcast a couple of times. 
And they used the Hawkins scale to measure energy and measure frequency. And they said that we as a world were so dominant in fear in April of 2020, the likes of which they hadn't been able to measure in many, many, many decades. And so you you knew that that isn't good for us. You know, I'm not saying that there aren't appropriate times to have a fear response. Or I know people who had immune issues or who were vulnerable physically that were understandably afraid. But I think what what I witnessed was this unnecessary amount of hysteria and fear that was going around, not to not take it seriously, but, yeah. but I, I, was, I was interested in what's this going to do to us psychologically and emotionally? What are the long-term ramifications going to be for the people who find themselves caught up in that, swept up in that, perhaps not because they need to be, but because they're told to be or because everyone else is. So yeah, it, I, I'm kind of glad we're not uh, where we were two and a half years ago right now. Well, fear is like, uh, it's like candy or something like it's it's very you know sometimes people argue that when you're really angry or even sometimes when you're really depressed like part of you enjoys that in a sense you're like you're digging in because it's an it's an and and fear is that way too like it's so easy for us to be like i uh, like it's a it's an easy emotion to slip into and and so we almost collectively then we're throwing more and more wood on the fire because it, it's it's a natural response in some ways, but it's very like animalistic, it's sort of our lower sense of our, our being. It's like, that's one of the first things you learn before we are even really fully human beings is, is that's how you survive. You're just like, like a deer in the woods. You're always like, what's out there? Yeah. What's going on? What do I hear? And that might not mesh up with modern life today, but in that moment, it really turned on that limbic part of our, 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 our lineage in a way. Big time. And it, and it definitely... You know, I think division is something most of us are aware of in the last few years and how that has been both stoked and pumped and encouraged in many different ways. But it was interesting to watch uh, rationality disappear. You know, it was kind of interesting. It kind of gave you that, for me, it gave me that snapshot of, oh, this is what mob mentality is like. Like when you hear about it or when you witness it in a movie or something, it's like the emotion has so flooded the system that there is no longer an ability to stand back and look. And if I think of that for myself, I'm like, yeah, I know when I get overly flooded, you know, it's like, oh, I'm stressed or, oh, no, I should step back for a second. I need to breathe. I need to reset myself. But have we ever talked about that collectively, you know, that we as a collective might need to just take a breath? I just think it was such an unknown experience that, uh, it's interesting to see what happens when we collectively become animalistic in that way. Well, I mean, and like you said, not to discount it, it was a, it was a big deal. It's still, I mean, what we just went through the last few years was just monumental. Mm -hmm. And I mean, look on another side of the coin. I remember when I was in New York city in at nine 11 and it kind of did the opposite in some ways. Like I saw everyone in the city at least for several weeks, come together, talk to each other, uh, broke down barriers. And so I didn't want to lose hope that's like, well, humans always result to, you know, the worst of our nature. There was another time in New York where there was a blackout in the whole city in August. And everyone thought, oh, my God, 
you know, no alarm systems, no cell phones. This is going to be bad. This is going to be real bad. And it was, and it was the opposite. There was almost no crime, and everyone came out and had like picnics. It, it just there was weirdly no crime. Like, and it kind of brought out like this childlike wonder of like, look at the darkness in the neighborhoods. How cool! Or like, let's be outside together. There's nothing else to do. Yeah. So, I don't want to lose hope, but something about the pandemic and how it merged almost with our information age and or misinformation age, it was sort of a perfect storm and how it's a public health thing when when it really gets to like, it's so tricky when it's about a person getting, feeling like sick or dying in your mind as a and how out of control you feel and all the ways you're like, oh man, just about everything is going to be affected by this. I mean, I have to just give, cre- you know, a little credo to everyone to say, that was tough. That was really mm. tough. Definitely. So hard. And, and I think the difference perhaps in what you're talking about is with 9-11 or say with the blackouts or other monumental events that happen in a country or for the world, I think the lockdown was the thing that we've never encountered. Like, you no. know, everybody no. having to be separated in that way or being told to be separated in that way, that was that was something. And several times I thought to myself, wow, if this had happened 100 years ago, like no phones, no internet, like what would that have been like? So, you yeah. know, the one blessing of it I thought was, okay, well, at least we can all connect with each other in in ways. They might not be the ways we would like, but at least it's something. It's better than nothing. Well, let's talk a bit about the um, segue. It's, I have, this is related to what we're talking about. But when, you know, I realized I before had never really asked you just some basic background questions about channeling in your work. And, and I'm sure you've answered them many times before, but I think it'd be good to provide a little bit of context for a listeners who are less familiar with you. Um, so you have this new book and you've, and you've been working in the format of channeling and you work with, uh, you, I don't know if you call them entities or individuals or beings, disease. Uh, if you, tell us a little bit about like what that is for you, uh, how, and how long you've been doing this and maybe just a little about who, who are disease to you. Sure. Okay. So disease are a group and the way that they describe themselves is they say we're a group of 88 beings but they say we aren't fixed as an 88 because we can then extend wider into source and speak to other sources of information, other beings, other entities. And they say, just like we as humans are not fixed. Like, uh, you know, Trevor, I, I think of this conversation right now is going to have an influence on me today. Um, you and I first met a decade ago and I, I loved your music. So your music had an influence on me and, you know, we're, we're all constantly in this relay of information. And that was the first thing that they really explained to me that was different to what I'd heard or perceived with other channeling. I'd always thought, oh, when you channel, you have one guide or one angel or one being. And they were like, no, we're a group, but so are you. They said, all of you are made up of so much. So anyway, to kind of back mm. up the car, what am I? I'm 46. So I was 23. And I was on the London Underground uh, subway train going to my job at the time, which was working for Greenpeace. But I was also at the time working to become a singer songwriter. I just recorded my first album. I was trying to break into the music industry, all that stuff. So I'm going through all this stuff in my head. 
self-doubting stuff, self, oh, this isn't working stuff, all of that. And all of a sudden, from the left, I hear this very clear voice that I've never heard before saying, that's an interesting perspective, but you're wrong. And I'm just like, huh? And, and that begins a conversation that to this day has never gone away and is never not available to me. There is never a time that I can't turn my attention there and have a conversation with them or sit down and write a question or write the date and receive a few sentences for them that I then write down. You know, obviously the first thing is you're like, oh, is this schizophrenia? Nowadays we refer to that as multiple personality disorder, but at the time that was the word. So I was like, oh, is this, you know, have I, have I crossed yeah. over that line? But what was interesting to me was over a few days of talking to them and asking questions and getting the answers, I thought, well, God, this is useful if it is. <laughs> like, it's, it's really helpful. They help me understand things that I wasn't seeing the way they're seeing them. So perhaps an example, I was stuck in some ego perspective of, well, he's wrong. And how could he behave that way to me? And they're like, no, you're wrong. And here's why you're wrong. And here's what you're not seeing. And instead of being defensive against them, the way that you could be if a friend kind of came at you with that information when you're in your early 20s, I wasn't defensive at all. I, they, it immediately like opened my body. Whatever stance I was in around the thought I was believing, my body would just start to relax and I would hear what they were explaining to me and I would go, oh, I hadn't even thought of it that way. And then the next time I had a conversation with that person, I would see it differently and experience it differently. So they were shifting my consciousness very quickly. Mm. I asked them, are you my guides? Uh, they had said, yes, we've been with you since you were a kid, but you stopped hearing us. I think they said either the age of five or six. It's in one of the books. So often when we do these conversations for the books, I learn things that I've either never thought to ask or they give me a bit more detail on my history with them, usually to illustrate a point in the book. And um, yeah, it was it was a very private journey for me for the first four or five months. I would go home from work every day, write questions about my life, about universal concepts, spiritual things. And the answers that would come back that I would write down would not only illuminate me in the moment, but I would go back and read them like in the days following and start to see parallels in my life. Um. People have often said, were you scared? Not at all of them. They felt like home and they felt like truth. I was terrified of what people would think. And I didn't want to be the weirdo. And uh, and honestly, I wasn't like a fan of channeling. I had been taken to see a channeler once and I was skeptical. I came away thinking, well, he's very intuitive and has some wisdom, but why did he have to close his eyes and put on a funny voice? Why couldn't he have just told me that? You know, and I was someone who was into things like tarot readings, and I was going to personal development workshops. So I think because I was skeptical about what channeling was, it, it's made it a lot easier for me to understand, especially now I stand for it publicly and have done for 18 years. 18 years ago, I started doing readings for people. A friend pushed me into it, and the rest is history. And um, yeah, it helps me understand why for people who 
have not had an experience like this or don't feel anything around it or it's just not their path. I can understand why skepticism comes up for them. And of course, we, we're a society who have been taught to fear things that actually we shouldn't have been taught to fear, the mm-hmm. things that are really a part of us. But over the years, whether it's government, religion, whatever, whatever force has decided to eradicate certain parts of just our natural truth, which is we are all intuitive. Um, mm-hmm. that's, been, that's been an interesting journey for me. But just on a personal level, I think it, it has really helped erode one of my core issues, which was being, being worried about what other people think. And I was raised in a family where my parents were very worried about like what other people think of you and the neighbors. And so I think in a weird way, um, my trust of them and my trust of seeing what they have done for other people over the years has helped me rub up against that part of me that, you know, now luckily I'm old enough to kind of go, oh, you know, people are going to think all <laughs> kinds of things about you and it's none of your business. And we're all so perspective based that you just don't want to waste any time on that. Well, thanks for that that background. Uh, I want to ask some some more questions about, of course, the content, but let me get a little bit more of this context. Uh, so, the Z's did they ever say like, do they speak to other people in the same way that they're communicating with you? Well, it's interesting. They told me many, many years ago. They said we are aligned with and attached to you. And because I asked, I, you know, you hear of like many people channeling Saint Germain, or so I was, you know, I was expecting. Possibly, you know, didn't know what the answer would be. I will say that many people who listen to the Z's material or have read the book, we do hear, especially more these days. I think because it's m- more consumed, I guess. Uh, people will say, oh, I think I'm talking to the Z's. And so I'm always like, okay, you know, it's not for me to get involved with that. That's not my path. Um, But they they have said that we are are aligned with you and that they have a contract with me and that the contract is something I can break at any time. So actually there have been three times I almost stopped channeling. Um, The last time was about five years ago. Do you feel that, like, have you had any reasoning for that? Like, you feel it's karmic or any, you have any past life information that you felt has informed what this contract is all about? The the thing that, that has come through and that feels true to me is I've had a lot of spiritual or religious lives in the past. Uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've literally had visceral experiences of being a monk and um, various different paths around spirituality. So in this lifetime, part of my job, my purpose is to broadcast a certain frequency. So I do that in a myriad of ways. And and what I understand of that role for me, which is directly what I'm supposed to do, is it helps connect the frequency for other people who might want to use it for their life or broadcast it. So yeah, what they've explained is that it's it's my path and that even if I didn't channel them publicly, they're never leaving and I wouldn't ever want them to. The The question for me was always the public side of it. And um, yeah, I hope I answered your question. Yeah. Are you familiar with like Edgar Casey and how he, when he would go into his trance, I don't believe he would remember what he said. He had his wife write it all down. 
But if someone came and asked like financial stuff, for instance, about the stock market, like things that were sort of, uh, I don't know what, where the line was drawn, but if it was sort of like about, I don't know, personal gain in that way or something, he would get sick. Oh, wow. Like it actually, he almost couldn't, and he wasn't even aware at the time. So his wife had to be this sort of, because he started to be well known. He could do a lot of medical stuff, like go into trances and tell people like, well, this is what's wrong. This is what you need to do. You need to go to a doctor and get this test. And then these are the things you need to do to fix it. And that all worked fine. Or anything in the Akashic realms worked great. But if someone came in and was like, I want to know if such and such stock is going to, and he could tell them, but he'd get ill. Have you found there's any sort of boundaries to this? Oh, there are definitely there are definitely boundaries. So there are limits to how long I will channel for. Like I, the sweet spot for me seems to be no more than 75 to 90 minutes. And that's a long session. Um, and there are also limits to how often I will channel. So, you know, I don't do privates anymore. I haven't done those for about three or four years. Um, what I will say is, I, I hmm, how do I put it? what hits me when I hear what you say about Edgar Casey, and it was a different time too. The Z's have actually said it's far harder these days to predict the future beyond about 12 months. They say <laughs> there are arcs around the future that you can, um, that you can gain, you know, like they, they say there is an arc to your next five to 10 years that is unlikely to deviate too much. But they say when it comes to specifics, the, speed at which consciousness has reached on the planet, which is very different to say 50, 100 years ago, it's now the case that you're really working on the next six to 12 months because there are so many variables and so much of what used to keep us gridded as humanity has either eroded, lifted, or is moving very fast. So that's the first thing. Um, but the what I would say about the energy of, of people I know this not just from being a channeler, but from working with people intuitively, because I've always done both arms. So for me, there's like a midway point I reach as an intuitive where I'm still grounded. I'm still in my body and my language, but I'm kind of halfway between me and them. And so I'm translating what I'm getting. It's how I do things like the energy updates or um, more grounded teaching. There is a line around opening your energy field in that way to include others that can be jarring. So for example, whenever I used to put an energy update out, I could feel uh, very emotional, very off, um, and just not great for a day or two afterwards. And, and that was me getting used to the psychic engagement that, was com that comes at you mm. when you put mm -hmm. something like that out and it's having a psychic emotional response for people. So over the years, I have got way more refined in the way I look after myself and also the boundaries I have around the line between creating the work and being overly involved in the public side of it or not. Um, so I do think whenever you're doing any kind of energy work, and this is true for massage therapists who are intuitive and open, or anything where you're working with the energy field of someone else in a very intimate way like that, you are going to on some level um, interact with their energy field. So you have to figure out what is this costing me? I have a good friend who is a channeler and, uh, 
that friend has struggled because they were channeling a lot and they weren't well. And I kind of said to them, I, I think you need to dial back on how many private sessions you're doing in a week. And I think you need a break so that you can not be engaged with everyone's stuff all the time. I think there yeah. is a line. Well, do you ever worry about, or do you think other people, we all should worry about the ways in which we're opening ourselves to unseen energies too? Do you ever feel like you may be manipulated by like, wait a minute, is this disease? You know, it's like I'm opening myself and how do you keep that? How do you keep your own protection to, really to good... know what's coming in? I, I'm going to, I'm going to guess that there's a lot of energies out there, maybe totally. almost infinite. And it's, if these are non-local, it's like, how do we differentiate between uh, the motives? Well, you know, the way I look at that is as above, so below. And so I think there is manipulation everywhere on a grounded level. You know, I don't, I don't read the news without scanning it. I'm, I'll, I'll scan it for manipulation. I'll scan it for emotional slant. I'm like, oh, this article's telling me what to think. It isn't telling me the facts. It's telling me the facts and it's telling me what I should think about them. So I think there is this incredible fear that so many of us have about, oh, the unseen world, be careful. And I think that's designed to keep us away from it. I think we should all be educated a lot more on, is this person manipulating me? Is this group manipulating me? Is this leadership ma manipulating me? So to me, I don't separate the spirit world from the human world. And if anything, the spirit world has helped me refine seeing that kind of manipulation on a human level. Mm. Um, but what I'll say is, you know, my barometer is my body. So for me, my barometer is my body and I can tell from what's in my body and, and when that connection is made, when I'm channeling for others. But equally, I know the frequency of the voice. So I've never had an experience where that has happened to me. However, I do know that that can be a thing for people. I also know that people who have either a history of psychiatric imbalance or issues, they should be very careful because you do need a kind of strong grounding, I think, to be able to hold your own. And then what I always say is test it, reflect on it, be a scientist of your channeling. Like I didn't start working with other people before I had had about five years by myself and with a few close friends. So I had a grounding in it. Like the last thing I would advise is become a channeler in November and in January start offering readings. No, wait, <laughs> like test it out. Be sure that you are able to reflect on it. And then when you start with clients, pay attention to the feedback. Is the feedback positive? You know, of course, there might be someone who doesn't really resonate, but you, you like anything, you have to monitor and you have to study and you have to pay attention. But it, it really is a personal discernment thing. The other big thing I'll say, be very wary of any guide you get in contact with who starts telling you to take all your savings and go to Vegas. You know, if, if you're being asked by your guides to do anything that doesn't feel comfortable or doesn't feel ex or feels extreme, I'm a big no-no. I'm like, your guides are not in charge of you. And anything they offer you is something they are offering from a wider part of you. And this grounded part of you needs to make a decision as to, is this the right move for me at the right time? Can I actually stabilize this? Because the shadow side of connecting with spirit is giving our power away to it. And for me, channeling has to be part of a balanced diet. So channeling is a part of my life. Personal development is a part of my life. Listening to my wise friends is a part of my life. Uh, 
you know, being in relationship, all the different relationships that we're all in, child, parent, you know, whatever your relationship is, like the whole thing has to be taken into context. And I think one of the risks sometimes for people who get either involved with not just spiritual channeling, but you see it with the guru trap. People who are either traumatized by their life or have a history of trauma or are trying to connect to themselves, they find this method or this guru or this teaching that turns all the lights on for them and they shut down their own mind and they just fully give themselves to it, even as it's asking them to do things that aren't quite right for them. So I think you've always got to keep keep your feet on the ground and pay attention to what's going on for you and with you. Yeah, it's kind of it reminds me of the Ram Dass line about like we're in a school, you might as well take the curriculum versus, you know, when you're always trying to leave your life and be in the higher realms or whatever it is, some kind of escape. Uh, I, in some ways, it feels like a litmus test to let's call it inner work or personal development or whatever it may be, is whether that's translating into some kind of form of service. And when I say service, I mean, it's a natural formation as you begin to awaken to, to your own lack of separateness and interdependentness and oneness of all things. Anything you do to others is something you're doing to yourself anyway. Mm-hmm. And you you tend to align with forms of service. Even if that's like forms of your own creativity being in that way, but I think a lot about social action, especially today when there is so much imbalance in the world. And do you think it's important that things like channeling or people doing inner development does become not just uh, a hamster wheel uh, you know, of narcissism? And like, how can it translate into making the kind of change to right the imbalances we see in the world today? I do think it's important. I also have... I have a certain level of compassion for those who are traumatized enough by their life that for however many years they need to dive into personal development and spirituality as a separate or a separation act from the rest of their life. And I've seen people do that and I've seen people get stuck there and I've seen people come out of that. I've seen people go through it for many years and I, I think back to myself I think because we would, well, I certainly wasn't given a spiritual education when I was younger, apart from being a human, which is its own spiritual education, I guess. But no one was guiding me, teaching me until I was a late teen and I started to find some of my people. But I do remember, I will say this, I had a brilliant friend um, from the age of about 14 to 18 and she was an unbelievable activist and she was a spiritual teacher for me because she woke me up to oh oh yeah maybe there are, she would start telling me about things going on in the world and environmental causes she was getting behind and she would go out and fundraise and sometimes I would go with her and I was soaking up this this thing that I hadn't yet been taught which is there are areas that need our help and there are groups that need our help and we can go and work in those. So personally, I think if you really are paying attention to your spiritual education, whatever form it's coming in, you're always going to come back to wanting to do what you can to help. Much like we were saying about, you know, in a disaster area or a disaster time, 
most people aren't running to the Nike store to get some free trainers. Some are, but most people are going, oh, actually, who needs my help? Because when the chips are down, life gets very real and we realize that the, the precious thing is life. So I actually feel that, I, I guess you're really describing two groups. There are, I call it spiritual superiority. You know, you meet those people who are spiritually superior because they know more than you do about the ninth dimension. And then you witness them being horrible <laughs> to someone they, who- they, they wear the right clothes. Yeah, yeah, they have the right, the right they're, outfit. They're so horrible <laughs> to someone in the store. And I always say I'd much rather be with the person who is skeptical of the ninth dimension or channeling or anything, but they're being nice to people in a store, not not to people please or to give their power away, but just because that that is a currency, the way that we behave to each other. So yeah, I'm I'm always pro people's behavior over people's beliefs. And I'm fine with someone who, you know, thinks what I do is completely crazy if they're behaving in a in a loving, kind way. I'd much rather be with that person than some of the people I've met who are very spiritually learned, but not in action. Yeah, you got to walk the walk. Uh, are you familiar with uh, Michael Newton's uh, Journey of Souls? I have that, that book, but I don't think I ever read it. I think oh I God. got it a decade ago. So great. Um, well, I bring it up because I was thinking about hypnosis, which is his his modality and he sort of developed this very deep hypno hypnotic states for people and they started to speak about kind of life between lives so not necessarily past lives but sort of the soul space and he found all these different similarities and that was his book uh, essentially case studies and interviews with people in those states and one thing that i always found interesting for me is when i would read it i'd remind myself that whatever the person is essentially saying in a hypnotic state, it is literally being filtered through their brain, like through their own consciousness, uh, dimensionality in a sense, and even their language, the words that they know. It's like their brain is the mechanism by which that information is coming through, even their own background and personality. So it's like that's the colors they're able to paint with verbally to espouse whatever's coming through. So in that way, I, I always would see it on a certain level as a kind of metaphor because it's like, well, you might see it as literal. It's these words, but you have to remember it's hypnosis. It's, it's, it's kind of filtration. And it also then could help me look at it almost like, well, what does this mean to me? And I can, I can take it as I, as I please. Do you feel that there's an analog there with channeling? Uh, or the way you experience channeling, that the recognition of how it's coming through you and your being and your brain, definitely, heart body, definitely. And and it's interesting because the Z's have said they use my um, empathic ability to sense how things are landing for people, um, and if they need to go left when they're going right, you know, to kind of so. That's why it's quite a full body experience for me. Like I get very hot and, uh, <laughs> and I'm usually a little, even if it's the room is cold, I'm usually like sweating a bit after 75, 90 minutes. Um, but definitely it's colored by, I would say the limitations of me. They do use words that aren't words I use. And there have been a couple of times I've had to go and look the word up. Um, but I'm, 
and I say this to anyone who's channeling, you know, the biggest thing people say is they say, how do I know I'm not making it up? And I always say, you are. And they look horrified. And I, I go, but not in the way you think. You're co-creating it. You're not, you're not this uh, piece of meat that something's being pushed through. There is this perception and sometimes there is this higher value placed on the trance channeler. Oh, well, they don't remember any of it, so it must be real. Not necessarily. Actually, these days, there are less trance channelers than there used to be. And they say that's because we're a little bit closer to that level of consciousness as a collective. So it's less um, dramatic a shift that needs to happen. And at some point, channeling, you would hope, will just be irrelevant because people will be, oh, I'm just tuning into this thing. I think I think part of the job of channelers at the moment is reconnecting people to that intuitive frequency in themselves. I think that's really what the job is about. Sure, the information might be illuminating, it might be helpful, it might expand your mind, but it's the frequency that people who resonate with channeling are recognizing, and they're recognizing something inside themselves. So I definitely think that it's limited by me as much as I'm able to support it in an expansive way, no question. Because there's only so much, of course, that I guess my translation ability can process. Right, right. So then what are the ways that maybe everyone, all human beings, are channeling and perhaps they're not even recognizing it? Like, What is that energy? Okay, so you're the perfect person for this. Mr. Music. Um, so, you know, they told me not too long ago that they got me first through music. So at the age of 21, after loving music all my life and singing a lot as a kid, I started hearing these melodies, like fully formed songs, often with complete lyrics and at the very least with half lyrics. And I literally heard them like above my head. And then I had to figure out how to play guitar enough that I could get them down. So they said that they got me first through music. And then two years later, I was ready to hear the language. So music is channeling. And I'm not disputing that you can't be a talented human musician who crafts and lands that music in a very skilled way. Much like I'm I'm not ever saying that a channeler is just a piece of meat that they're, you know, this thing is donking them on the head. They're, some of their skill is involved in doing that thing. Um, but we're all channeling whenever we are tapping into something that doesn't feel like a limited part of ourselves. So for example, a friend I used to know loved cooking and their food was amazing. And I, I would say to them, you know, why do you love cooking? They just said, because it's like I go into a bit of an altered state and my mind isn't there and I forget about the worries of the day. And you, you ate their food and you're like, what is this food? Like, it's unbelievable. So they were in this, this intuitive flow with how to craft and create really nice food for you. So to me, we all have a higher mind and it's the voice of our soul. And so I say to everybody, we can all channel and you don't have to channel a guide or an angel or an alien or whatever it is that you think you have to channel you can channel the voice of your higher self. So the way you do that, and it's dead simple, and this is the word-based channeling, is you write down, what does my soul want to tell me today? Question mark. What does my soul want to tell me today? And then take a minute or two to write what comes through. And you might go, well, how do I know I'm making it up? I say, don't worry about that. Just do it anyway. 
And usually what happens, because I've done this to rooms full of hundreds and hundreds of people, and there's always a bunch of people who look at me horrified, like, hang on a second, aren't, isn't it your job to do that? And we're just here to take it in. But they're yeah, often the job. people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's not why I came making us, It's like you go to a restaurant, like you yeah. cook the food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't come to my restaurant. Um, <laughs> but, but it's so interesting because they're often the people who have the most impactful experience and often right. people will be crying. And why that's so interesting to me is, well, I'll take this back to a client I had. She was this brilliant woman, amazing, amazing businesswoman super sharp mind, very funny, but had a real wall in her emotional relationships and had a series of broken relationships, came from childhood like that. She came to me to channel as one of the things she was working on over the course of these sessions. And so I set her this task of, you're going to write something every day. What does my... And she showed up the following week and she looked kind of mad at me when I asked her how it had gone, which was quite like her. I loved her. She was very feisty. And uh, she went, well, it's, it wasn't really anything. And I was like, okay, well, what, can you share some of it with me? So let's say her name was June. June, you are a beautiful and loving person. And she like rolled her eyes. And June does Big it, deal. Oh, Big very, deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very nice stuff, right? And I basically said to her, I said, oh, this is really good. You need to keep doing this. And she went, but it's not useful information. And I said, yeah, but it how often do you speak to yourself this way? And she stopped for a second and she looked, and she went, well, I'd never speak to myself this way. And I'm like, yep, well, until you calibrate to more love and more self-love, you are not going to get any useful information because Mm -hmm. love is a frequency in that realm that's just quite normal. And so if you can't let that in, and it was amazing because flash forward six weeks, she was getting all kinds of information and she she was different. I hadn't done anything. She had done it. She had done it by being willing to understand why she needed to repeat that exercise, even though she wanted to roll her eyes a lot of the time. But it started to open her heart. So it's usually very impactful when we say loving words to ourselves in that way because they've come through a channel, because very few of us, certainly from our generation anyway and, and above, have been trained to either speak to ourselves in a loving way, or more importantly, recognize the danger of the voice that we all have in our head that criticizes us, criticizes what we've done, that we all think is our own inner voice and what we're all under a great illusion about. That that disease of self-criticism, self-attack is something that is in the air here. And that's why it's so healthy that we talk about it and that we share about it, because then we take the insidious, quiet, sinister voice that's attacking us and we speak about it to others and we realize, wow, everyone's got this. Wow, this is a collective thing. So there's a huge shift that can happen with channeling around more self-love. Doesn't mean you're going to be constantly thinking you're great. There was, of course, like any healing, there'll be more layers, there'll be more refining, but it's a game changer. Do you ever feel personally, and this is a question that relates to me personally, (laughs) do you ever feel almost any shame? Like, because there's parts of you that's like, hey, I know me. I know my humanity. I really fell apart last week, you know, or I have times where I'm really anxious. And here I am, like, able to pass through something that feels so pure. 
And you have to, that's part of that self-love is to say, that's all of me. You know, I can be all of these things and, and be the same being, the fullness of all that. But this element of shame. You know, you, you know, it's a really good question. Um, shame is something I knew very well because growing up and realizing I wasn't heterosexual and that that was going to be a huge problem. You know, I think most of us who grow up knowing that we, we, we have a certain level of shame that we have to work through. Um, certainly again of my generation and hopefully it's getting a little easier for the younger ones now. Um, but it's funny in the early days, I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question. It's a little indirect, but what okay. hit me really hard I didn't, I didn't even know there was like a channeling world. I was doing readings. And then after a couple of years, I was invited to speak at a channeling conference. And what hit me really hard when I went into this channeling world that I'd never entered or been a fan of or would have found was there was a certain level of uncomfortable reverence of the channeler. And again, you know, I met many channelers and some I'd love to go for dinner with and some not so much. And I would watch this disconnect. And, and, and it's not just channelers. I mean, I've met spiritual authors that, you know, they say don't meet your heroes. And it's true. Um, not if you're projecting that the piece of work that that hero created is, is going to mean they're a certain kind of person. And that's okay. That's, that's life. But I witnessed this over-reverence of people who could channel. And so one of the things I did quite early on and I had a partner at the time in the late 2000s, and we did a radio show <laughs> together, and we were both channelers, and it got us into a lot of trouble. We would disclose what we were going through as humans, and we would literally get emails from people going, we don't want to hear about your problems. Just do more of the channeling. Like, they didn't want it. Whereas to me, I was like, no, 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 th these two things are not, these are interconnected. You know, you, you can't just separate nasty humanity and just focus on the channeling because the channeling is moving stuff in you so i've actually always been someone who has been a real advocate for um life is not all love and light and while i absolutely believe we have to to the best of our ability on any given day cultivate love and light for ourselves or if we're having a really rough day not beat ourselves up for that and just on honor it and acknowledge it I think that's woven into my my messages and my teachings for so many years. And, I, you know, sometimes that's been hard for people. I, I've literally witnessed the disappointment in certain people who would find it much more convenient if I just was the Zs and they didn't have to deal with any of the other mm -hmm. stuff I do. But that's never who I'm going to be. That's not what I stand for. Um, and equally, I think I, I think me and many others who give voice to that I think we help humanize the journey for everybody. I love it when I hear from someone I admire that they're having a tough time. That's way more useful to me than pedestaling them. Um, and so I think any spiritual teacher or someone who stands for something that I enjoy or believe in, I'm going to love them three times harder when they're honest mm -hmm. about the rough day that they're having. Because I'm like, oh, they're human and, and we are all the same and we are all going through that journey. So, and I'm an eternal student of, of consciousness and of healing. That's, I'll go to my grave as that, even if I stop doing this as a job, you know, in, in a few years. Yeah. Yeah. We, it seems in some ways, it, some people put on a pedestal, anyone they see that like, 
that they, they they're receiving information or creativity that you know there was a long period of time where that was learned and built up but i think part of allowing that energy to come through is what you're speaking to allowing yourself to allow it in a way like mm-hmm. not trying to say like, i have to be something different than i am it's like no i can be who i am and be other i can be the fullness of who i wish to be at the same time in a sense like sometimes i i'll be on stage and i I'm saying things in between songs. It's just, it's, I guess it's a form of channeling. It's whatever's coming mm-hmm. through. It's inspiring me as it must, is the audience. You know, it's for me too. And it's not that it's like I figured it all out. It's just like the, it's a universal message that you can embody in the moment because we're all able to embody anything in the moment. No further away than our next breath, in a sense. It's like that is a choice. It's dropping the expectation or dropping the stories. It's like, no, but that's not who I am really. And it's like, just be it. Yeah. Be the love. Feel Just feel what that love might feel like in this moment. Ah, there it is. And it, by engendering it to other people, you're doing it for yourself at the same time. It's sort of a co-creative mechanism. In some ways, I think that's the only way. There is no perfection. There is no destination where it's then you can say something or, or you have a right to in a sense. It's like we do it in process because there's only the process beautifully said and it's funny you you may i'm gonna i can't remember how he said this but i do remember was it it was ramdas i believe who had a stroke and said that when he had his stroke the last thing he thought about was spirituality for quite a while all he was focused on was the stroke and the experience of the stroke And to me, what was liberating about that message is I think often we are promised escape from life through spirituality or we believe. And I, listen, when I was in my early 20s and I went to my first workshops, I also thought, oh, I'm going to heal myself so that I just live in a constant state of bliss. And of course, life is life. And I've known people who are supremely happy and supremely... um, living the life they want. And all of a sudden, something happens to them. They don't escape grief. They don't escape loss. Sure, they may have a slightly more expanded way of experiencing it or dealing with it than they would have 30 years earlier. But yeah, life is life. And it, it comes with all its ups and downs. And, and and I think to go back to the beginning of our conversation, we spoke about 2020, 2021. And here we are at the tail end of 2022 recording this. But Still, you know, the embers of this massive change that restricted, caused pain, caused loss uh, for lots of people in lots of different ways is, is something we've all lived through together. Sure, having slightly different experiences of it, but in many ways, it was an equalizer in a way that we hadn't previously been living in society. That's a big statement because, of course, some people were way more comfortable and way more resourced than others, but still. So well, maybe it could be looked at like the equalization is still this process that we're going through, or perhaps that is what history and time is moving us towards. And uh, what do disease say about this time that we're in? You talked about these arcs of time, and I, I immediately made me think about the idea of destiny and the idea of choice, sort of like where we're headed, but at the same time, it's less predictable now for some reason because it still involves, of course our own choices and and our own volition, but yet why are the arcs shortening? It almost feels like we're moving towards a kind of concrescence. 
something. What, what have you learned or what have you been hearing about what this is? Well, I'll tell you something that came out in 2015 or 2016. I was in London and I was doing an event for a group called Alternatives. And at the end of the event, I channeled for about 15 minutes to this audience. Um, it was like 150, 200 people, I think. And in the channel, <laughs> they said... 2017 to 2024 are going to be tumultuous years on the planet. And they are going to be game-changing years. And I was struck by this seven-year arc. I, I was like, well, it, it seemed so abstract to me at the time. Oh, it was before Brexit and it was before the American election. Okay, so yeah, it was. Because then the next year, which of course led us into 2017, I was like, whoa, because those two events were so connected. I was living oh, yeah. in the States, but watching what was going on with Brexit, the vibrational signature of those two was almost identical to me. And I was, it really got me paying attention and kind of what's going on here. Um, and then, of course, 2017, we're, we're now at 2022. They've talked about fire being um, an important element in the next two years, 2023 and 2024. They say often when you hear the word fire, some of you get scared because you think the fire's coming at you. But what they're saying is the fire needs to come through you. They say we need a certain level of fire of our truth, fire of our heart, fire of compassion for others. Basically, they said until you get to 2025, you aren't going to have a break in what they describe as uh, an energetic battle that's going on on Earth. And they say between lower and higher vibrations, you've got old systems that are trying to control and, and organize us a certain way that wouldn't be good for us going forward. You've got new things breaking through, but they're not necessarily supported enough in the mentality of the mainstream consciousness that they can really start to take shape until the second half of this decade. So those are, those are some of the things that they've said. And of course, as you said, we have to keep tracking it as it goes. But just recently, I, I did a course, uh, an experience called Initiation, which is a channeled mystery school, meaning I had no idea what it was about. That's the whole point. We, we all just go into it and we get these transmissions. And they talked a lot about fire and that it only takes... It takes less than 30% of the population to become um, more aware. And they don't have to be more aware on a spiritual level. or a, It's aware of um, what they call your connected humanity. And so they say that what we're seeing playing out right now, whether you look at what's going on in Iran or whether you look at what's been going on here around the racial issues in America or the Me Too movement, we're witnessing all of these reckoning moments around old abuses of power and control of groups, individuals, certain countries. It's all vibrating very fast. So I think what's tricky about it is you look at it and you go, but wow, there are these people being murdered and tortured in Iran for standing up against it. So it's not necessarily working. The Zs would say, how do you think revolutions begin? They don't necessarily begin with a win for a group. They begin with enough people who sign up to take on the difficult task of marching headlong into the army that are opposing their freedom and starting something moving. So 
I think it's a very intense time in the world for any of us who, you know, our hearts get heavy when we see that stuff going on. But they have said for years, this is the time that you're in. This is the time that you came for. Those of you who are here to seed consciousness, you will keep seeding consciousness. Those of you who are here as freedom fighters or activists, you will do that. But they've also said the groups aren't separate anymore. All of you are becoming more of all of it. And that balance is going to be really important if we are to mm. build a more sustainable future for not just humanity, but the planet as a whole. What would you say is like a North Star people can have if there's, is there some sort of overarching energy to be like, to point people in the right direction to help navigate so much change? Good question. Um this may seem abstract, but know why you're here. Like, know why you're here. And that doesn't mean your job. I mean, it might mean your job because many of us are in a purpose. And of course, one of the biggest jobs is being a parent. Um, know why you're here. Like, I think one of the things the Z's have talked about a lot is we aren't asked to be sovereign, meaning we aren't asked to really own ourselves. Too many of us have been encouraged to do what that group thinks or do what your parent says or do what blah, blah says. Very few of us really own the fact that, wow, this is a miracle. I'm alive in this body for as long as this body is going to keep me alive. And I'm right now having a very conscious experience. I'm getting to engage with you. And and they've they've said this, and this could sound controversial, but they've said, there are people who have been imprisoned on your planet who have become awake because of those circumstances. And they said, we're not saying prisons are a great place for most people because they're not. But for some, they have had breakthroughs there. So they're saying your perception of, oh, I need these circumstances in order to be able to become fully conscious is often an illusion. They say consciousness is a choice and you will have to go through a certain level of personal healing in order to get there. And the sooner you're open to that, the better. But I would say know why you're here. Like, And you can know it on a yearly basis. Like, If you're sitting listening to this, rolling your eyes at me going, oh, I don't even know what I'm doing next week. Why are you here? What's important to you? And answer that question. And you might go, love. So then you go, okay, well, what am I doing in my life to support love? Oh, well, I can't really support love this week because I'm going on holiday with that friend who's always really judgy of me. Well, why are you going on holiday with that friend who's really judgy of you? Like if you start seeing love as your through line for the year to come, can you make choices that will support or enhance your experience of love? Can you be more loving towards certain people? What might you need to eradicate in your schedule? Or maybe you need to see that judgy friend a bit less and you figure out, whether you're going to be really blunt about why, or you're just a bit less available for a while because you're not quite sure how to handle it with them, but you know that vibrationally love is not what you two are co-creating. So your why might be as simple as a word. I'm here for love. I'm here for peace. I'm here to create music in the world that uplifts others and uplifts me while I'm doing it. You know, we have a lot of whys, most of us, but sometimes there is this overemphasis on what we do rather than how we want to feel or, or, or who we're here to, to be as an experience. So that kind of comes to me. And then, of course, you know, if you, if you resonate with anything I've said, 
Every month I put out like a 30 minute free energy update on YouTube on the first of the month where I go through about eight themes that I receive from the Z's and I kind of break them down in more human terms and how you might navigate them. And then of course, there's so much out there now that can support you. Like I'm a big believer in find the things that work for you, know what they are and practice them. Because the more you do them, uh, the more you're going to vibrationally feel better. And the more you vibrationally feel better, the more you can navigate some of the murk that we're going through with a bit more clarity and a bit more awareness. Merck, what are you talking about? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> uh, so you have a co-author on the, the new book, but I, if, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a volume two. Is that also already out or is that coming? Yeah, that's coming in May of 2023. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, because oh, I saw we're, it we're online. Book four right now. So uh, oh, my we're, gosh. we're, we're a few right. ahead. Um, but yeah, my co-author is the wonderful Diana Edwards. She's a psychotherapist, but she's also very learned spiritually. You know, she's in her early 60s now. So she's read everything. And she was a psychotherapist for a couple of decades. So she's a great conversation partner. And we weren't doing books. I just asked her if she would do some conversations with disease for my portal members community. And once it started, literally, I heard them say these could be books. So it was like, oh, Hmm. okay, well, I'll see if New World Library are interested. And they were and the rest is history. Well, it's the book one is out now, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. And thank you again for taking the time. It's always good to see you. Thank and, you. Thanks for uh, having me. Great, yeah, great, was, great questions. Great conversation. Yeah, it was fun to talk and uh, look forward to chatting another time soon. Totally. Thanks, Trevor. Thank you, Lee, for joining us. Uh, this song that you're hearing in the background is called Assured, and it is off the new album Headwaters. You can listen to Headwaters wherever you listen to music. And thank you so much for listening and sharing it. I'm glad you're enjoying it. You can always let us know uh, at East Forest on all the socials or at East Forest Music on Facebook and YouTube. You can always uh, reach out at our email, which is info at eastforest.org as well. Uh, I hope to see you on the 17th for our live stream with Peter Broderick. It is a winter solstice ceremony. And we're going to play for as long as we can for you, as long as the, uh, the fates allow us. But until then, you keep walking your walk. Don't take any shit. But if you do, do it with grace. <laughs>